You're doing it wrong. You ever heard that before? You're doing it wrong. <laughs> We've all heard this before, right? You're doing it wrong. Anybody who's ever had any kind of relationship with any other human being has heard or has uttered the phrase, you're doing it wrong. I was talking with a co-worker earlier this week and I said, I was thinking about this lesson, had it, you know, already done. I told him, I said, when I was growing up, dad would send me to get various tools and I'd go get it and it'd be the wrong one. And then I'd go get, he said, no, no, it's this one. And I'd go to get it, and I'd come back, and it'd be the wrong one. And then we'd go a third time. Dad's getting madder and madder because he's probably, you know, trying to fix the toilet or run electricity, do something like that. I don't know what he would be doing. And about the third time, he's, you know, he, he's so aggravated, you know, you're getting the wrong one. And I, keep, I remember thinking, like, if you went the first time, none of this would have been <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Well, here's the thing about you're doing it wrong is when we think about you're doing it wrong, a lot of time that's sort of in the eye of the beholder, right? There's maybe three things. We think about when we're doing something wrong, well, there's some things that you know are not going to work, right? You know, if you're you're working on something and you're putting a part on something and it goes here and you're putting it over here, you know that's not going to work. And sometimes that's true. You're doing it wrong. But sometimes with you're doing it wrong... It's more about, well, that's not the way I would have done it, right? Or maybe this is the way that you should do it. Well, why? Well, you know, I would do it, right? Well, when we think about that you're doing it wrong, I want us to think about today acceptable prayer. We've spent a few weeks talking about prayer. We've got this one and the next one. It feels like we've talked about it a lot, but there's been a lot of breakups for various things over the last few weeks. But I want us to think about acceptable prayer over the course of our day to day. We're going to look at a couple of different things, really three different things. First of all, we're going to talk about the things that hinder our prayers. We know what it means to hinder something, right? If something is hindered, if there's a hindrance, it's keeping us from being able to achieve whatever it is that we might want to achieve. And so we're going to think about what hinders our prayers. That's the first thing. The second thing we're going to look at, we're going to talk about are non-essentials to prayer. Now, the reality is that non-essentials are the things that we probably would tell people most often, you get that you're doing it wrong. And then the third thing, what we're going to finish with are the essentials to prayer. <clears throat> the things that we need, the things that we must have, the things that would make prayer acceptable. If you've got your Bible with you, You're going to be, if you want to flip with me, we're going to see a lot of different scriptures over the course of a lot of different parts here today. So if you want to have that out, we'll be looking at that quite a bit. But let's talk first of all about hindrances to prayer. We know what it means to be hindered. We just mentioned that just a second ago. But if we have a hindrance, it's something that keeps us from getting wherever it might be that we might uh, might want to get to. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, I was telling somebody about when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, the next to last game of the baseball season, I broke my ankle. 
And when I broke my ankle, I did not get to play a summer baseball that summer. That hindered me. But I, I told the person, I was telling this, and I said, it really didn't, it was just a fracture, and it really, it has never really bothered me since. My sophomore year of high school, I broke my hand right here, getting hit by a pitch in baseball. And every time the weather changed, I feel that run up my arm. That hinders me in some ways. I can still do everything that I would want to do, but I feel that when it goes from hot to cold. Some of you have similar injuries or ailments that have bothered you the same way. But a hindrance keeps us from being able to get to whatever it is that we are trying to accomplish. So let's talk about some hindrances to prayer. Well, the first one, the first one we're going to look at comes from James chapter 1 and verse 6, and that's a lack of faith. James tells us to ask God in faith with no, what does it say right there? I think it says doubting, right? With no doubt. Well, doubt is something we talked about several months ago. We did a sermon about doubt. And doubt can be good because doubt challenges us. But if we are praying without faith, then our prayer is probably not going to accomplish what we want to accomplish. We are going to be hindered. Because if I'm asking you to do something for me, or asking for help with something, and I know that you're not going to help me, why am I really asking? Well, if I'm asking God for help without faith, why am I really asking? I'm hindering, I'm putting the hindrance on myself right there. Hindrance number two, wickedness. We kind of jump feet first in right here, but a couple of different terms, or verses. Psalm 66 and verse 18, we read, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so a hindrance, what's keeping us from being a successful, from providing acceptable prayer, is if I've got sin in my heart, if I'm focused solely on, you know, sort of wrong, then we read there in Psalms that God's like, well, here. We'll come back to that in a second. Proverbs 28 and verse 9, we read, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now what we've seen here there is if we're not interested in hearing what God has to say, how's God going to be interested in hearing what we have to ask? Does that make sense? If I don't want to hear God's part of it beforehand, then I don't need to expect success when I ask for something as well. So wickedness plays a part. But I want to put two and three together. I'm going to put wickedness with the third one. The third one, we mentioned this on Wednesday night, substituting prayer for obedience. You know anybody that does this, that just lives it wild and crazy all the time? So that, that, but I pray. I got this. We're good. Well, we sometimes have a tendency to do that. We, we sometimes say, well, I've made all these mistakes, but I know that my prayer is going to come. Well, that's true. We can pray. We can be forgiven. But what does the Bible say about sort of choosing to sin and then letting the pray? That's not the way it covers it, right? When Paul said, should we continue in sin in the book of Romans and let grace abound, he responds by saying, God forbid, or certainly not, depending upon what your version is. And so we can't just say, well, I'm going to be wild and crazy. My prayers will cover Instead, we should be thinking, well, I know I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to work my hardest to not make mistakes. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness when I do make mistakes. If we're approaching it the backwards way, we're going to be unsuccessful. We are hindering our prayer. Number four, selfishness. Have we ever prayed selfishly? What's selfishness mean, right? What does it mean to be 
selfish. We don't want to be selfish, right? I want, you know, it's Christmas time, right? I want this, and I want this, and I want this, all right? Well, maybe not necessarily that, but we know what it means to be selfish. We want something to happen. And it's almost like, we've talked about this before, but it's almost like a prayer sort of becomes that sort of open door for selfishness sometimes for us, right? It's our opportunity to get everything that we might could want. When we read in James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it, as James says right there, on your pleasures. What am I asking for? Am I truly asking for something that would benefit not just me, but also the people around me? Or am I asking the genie for three wishes so that I can have anything that I want? Okay? Think about that. Think about when Jesus prayed in the garden. That's the opposite of selfish, right? Because when Jesus prays in the garden, Jesus is in a sense asking God, please, in my words, don't make me have to go to the cross, right? That's what Jesus is asking when he prays in the garden against me. Please don't make me go to the cross. However, that verse doesn't end right there. Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will but thy will. That's the opposite of selfishness. That's the total opposite of a selfish prayer. Jesus is asking for something that would make his life a whole lot easier. But he said, thy will, not mine. Sometimes we ask for things, we pray for things, we consider these things that we want, we desire, that we need, and we ask for it, and then we don't tack that, <clears throat> not thy will, my will, but thy will on and so when we ask for these things and we don't get them, then what do we do? We get mad, right? We get mad. God did not answer my prayers. That's a selfish approach right there. Because as James said in verse four, chapter 4 and verse 3, you're asking for your own pleasure. That's not what prayer is for. We read there in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, that the man stood up, right? Jimmy just read that a moment ago. The Pharisees stood up. And he said, you know, he, taught, he rattled all the things that he had done. You know, look at me is what he's saying. He doesn't say that in the scripture, but if you'd had a neon light back at the time, it was like there was an arrow pointing, look at me, look at me, look at me. And not only that, he also turns that arrow over to the person beside him and says, look, I'm way better than this guy, right? <laughs> The other man, the tax collector, the person who probably wasn't well-liked in the community to begin with, he beats his breast, would not even face forward. And there's a lack of selfishness right there. An improper attitude toward others. We're told to pray often, pray for those who need prayer. But sometimes our attitude can be a hindrance for somebody. There may be somebody that we know of that could use prayer. But that's not somebody we really like, right? I don't want to pray for them. You know, sometimes we might know of people who are in other places. You know, think about like when uh, people that we know that are missionaries go other places. Well, we sometimes pray more for the missionary than we do for the people that they're going to speak to, right? Well, I don't know those people. It doesn't. Well, that's the improper attitude. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 we read, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife 
as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. That's where we see the word right there. We have to have the proper attitude toward whomever it might be. If I'm praying for my spouse, then I need to elevate and love my spouse right here just as much. If I'm praying for my kid, right here. If I'm praying for people that I'm at church with, if I'm praying for people in my community, if I'm praying for people in the world, I can't start by saying, well, I don't really know those people, or I don't really care that much about those people, or I may not even really like those people, but I'm going to pray for them anyway. The attitude has to be right up here with them. It's a requirement. A hindrance. How's the prayer going to be effective if I'm not really too concerned about the people that I'm actually praying for? Hindrances. Say Non-essentials. Well, you might argue and say, well, I, I, I have all of those hindrances covered. I, I'm not really concerned about any of that. I, I've got all of that taken care of. And that's good, so let's go to the non-essentials. This is the kind of stuff that gets people all tripped up. This is pretty much what gets people tripped up in church about everything all the time, are the non-essentials. Let's talk first about improper, particular body postures, right? How is it that you're supposed to pray? Well, I got a lot of thoughts on that, right? We can all rattle that off. Well, first of all, I need to be standing up, right? Except when I'm sitting down. And second of all, I need to have my head bowed except when I'm speaking out, right? Well, we have all of these thoughts. We have these sort of things that say, I need to do this or I need to do that. Here's the thing. When we pray, the scripture gives us a lot of different ways. What about Daniel? Daniel said he went into his closet and prayed, right? Well, how many of you prayed in the closet the last month? Probably not a single one of us, right? But Daniel went three times a day into his closet and he faced toward Jerusalem and prayed. I guarantee you right now, most of us couldn't point to Jerusalem right now if we had to. It's somewhere around here, right? One of these ways. I guarantee that's where it is. Well, Daniel was an Old Testament guy for one thing, but Daniel's prayer there, that's one way of doing it, Right? But what about the guy that we just read about? What about what Jimmy just read? The Pharisee, he stood up in front of everybody. And he said, well, that's probably not good. Well, what do we do every Sunday? You know, it wasn't really his posture. It was his attitude. But the other guy wouldn't even look to God. So, okay, so that means that his head was bowed. So I should, should my head has to be bowed, right? Well, I, I don't know. But we get wrapped up in sort of this particulars. We get wrapped up into these ways that it has to be done. And it's like, I'm looking at Ben when he steps up here to pray. Make sure he's standing right. Make sure he's looking right. Make sure, what am I doing when I'm doing all these checking and grading? What am I not doing? I'm not listening to a word that he's saying, right? If somebody's praying in front of our group, they are praying, but they're praying with all of us. We're all involved in that. If I'm so worried about the approach that they're taking, I've completely forgotten what they're actually praying about. It might as well. I might as well have walked out for a minute earlier because I didn't get a single thing from it. What about specific languages? I'll step on a few toes right here. It doesn't have to be in Old English. All right? I'm talking to the right side of the room over here just now. It, 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 you know, there are churches, sometimes you drop past churches, they say King James only on the, on the sign. Look, we can be and thou and he and how and whatever we want to call it right there. But if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up and do it. The language there doesn't matter. Okay. Now, would it make sense if my entire congregation here was Spanish and I stood up here and prayed English? That wouldn't make sense. If the group's Spanish, I probably need to speak Spanish. If you're speaking English, it probably wouldn't help me from 
help for me to practice my French from 25 years ago. And I, that doesn't, that's not going to work. What do we need to do when we pray? Well, it doesn't have to be any of that. It doesn't have to be the fanciest words in the dictionary. What does it need to do? It needs to convey our message to God. Whatever it is that we're praying for. Don't worry about the language. Don't worry about flowery, fancy floral language. We're asking God for something. It might be for something that we need. It might be for something physical. It might be for something spiritual. But we are asking God. Don't worry about the language. Worry about what's being said. Solemn looks, pious tones, vain repetitions. Turn real quick to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus had some thoughts on this. Jesus had a few things to say about how people approach prayer. You might notice that in your Bible, starting in verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, right above it, it may say something like the model prayer, right? So this is Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, telling us how to pray. So we probably should listen right here, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that what? That they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus keeps going, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. Or closet. Go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What Jesus is saying right here is you are to remove yourselves from distractions. You are to eliminate the kind of distractions that would keep you from being effectively able to pray. Jesus said in verse 7, When you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Don't ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. I don't know how long the prayer has to be. I don't know that it really matters. But I know that when it's repetitive, when we're saying the same thing over and over again, who are we asking that for? Now, God doesn't need to hear me say it 25 times while I'm standing up here in front of the group. Because then I'm just changing the words to make it seem floral or whatever. Do I need to pray constantly? Yes. Do I need to pray for things more and more? Absolutely so. But my focus should be on the interaction between me and God. Not repeating things vainly so that you can hear and then you can walk out and say, Whoa, what a prayer he just gave right there. That's not what we're talking about. That's a non-essential. Well, what about essential? This is where we get to the things that matter the most. If we've eliminated our hindrances, if we've got those kinds of things out of our way, and we've also figured out what's not essential, then let's talk about what is an essential of acceptable prayer. First of all, we've got to talk about proper disposition. We need to be reverent in our prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's who we're praying to. And we need to pray that reverence there each time. That doesn't mean you have to start every prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But we a lot of times start our prayers with Heavenly Father or God or some semblance of that. We are addressing that. I've had times in class where I gave instructions and then a minute or two later kids say, what are we supposed to do? And I say, I just said it. And they said, oh, I thought you were talking to a certain group. Well, think about that when we pray. If we're just randomly talking, who are we talking to? Our prayers should be addressed to God. Second, there needs to be sincerity 
in our prayer. The hypocrites in Matthew chapter 6 prayed how? They prayed so that they could be seen by others. There was a lack of sincerity in what they are doing. Sincerity is a requirement. We have reverence. The second thing there is sincerity. We've talked about this a couple of times already, but Thanksgiving. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, 20, that we should give thanks for all things. All carries a lot of weight right here, doesn't it? All is holding up a whole lot of weight right here. This means we need to pray for the good, but that's easy. But we got to pray for the bad, which is a little harder, right? That gets a little more complicated. The good is easily celebrated, but often the bad is what allows us to grow as a Christian. And when we pray for those bad things, and what I mean by that is those people that trouble us or those difficulties that we face, when we pray and we have to overcome those, that allows us to grow as a Christian. We need to pray with humility. We're asking someone else for something. Think about that for a second. If I needed help with something and I really needed you to help me, would I come and ask in a hateful way? Should I come and ask in a flippant way? If I really need your assistance, I need to be humble in my approach to you because I want you to help me. Well, our prayer to God needs to be a prayer of humility as well. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We're too proud to show that humility toward God. How can we expect him to help us? We read it right there. We have to approach with humility in order for our prayer to be acceptable. Last, obedience. 1 John 3, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we shall receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We probably all promised somebody if they did something, we'd reward them, right? You ever do that with the kids? Clean your room. Eat, eat supper. <laughs> You sit still for an hour in church without disrupting things. We'll buy you a toy or do, do this or that, right? We've all made those sort of deals, right? Well, there's a reward for obedience. Well, I think that's what we see there in First John, right? That there's a reward for our obedience. If we spend all of our time disobeying God, how's he going to reward us by answering our prayers? But if we spend all of our time doing what's right and what's good, we could expect, we could almost guarantee that the reward of the answered prayer is going to come from him. If we obey God, we'll receive this blessing. A couple things to finish up. We have to pray with the proper authority. Well, first of all, we have to pray in the name of Christ, right? Every prayer that ends in front of here, this is probably the one that you hear other people give the most, but even when you're own, we pray that no matter what has been said, it closes up within in Jesus' name or in the name of Christ. Some sort of variation of that right there. It doesn't matter if this is a prayer for uh, food that we're about to eat, if this is a prayer at a funeral for somebody who's passed away, if this is a prayer, you know, it could be anything. But the authority, the proper authority has to go there. Why do we do that? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 to start with. We read, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then giving thanks to the Father through Him. Will and I were talking about this in class a little bit earlier about how we read about that no man had seen God, right? Well, there's a divide, there's a gulf, there's a, there's a 
valley, whatever you want to say, between us and God. Well, Jesus fills that void. Okay? If I'm asking someone for something, but I don't actually see that person, I might have to run that message with somebody else to it. I've done that in school sometimes where I've had a student say, go down to so-and-so's room and ask them for some paper towels or ask them for a pair of scissors. And they bring it back. I have to have that mediator, that person in the middle, or it's not, nobody's just going to randomly send me scissors. That's not how it works. Well, God and us, our approach to God is the same way. We have to ask our prayers through Christ. Because Christ serves as that mediator between the two of us. Jesus is our mediator. We ask through Christ in the name of Christ. And we ask according to the will of God. We said a moment ago, Luke 22 and verse 42, Jesus said what? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That is what we need. Finally, our proper frequency. But we've talked about this a few weeks ago. One, always. That's a lot, right? That's pretty often if the word always. Luke 18, 1 says, Men ought to pray and not lose heart. They should always pray. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 then tells us to pray without ceasing. It's a requirement there as well. So we've looked at three things this morning. We've asked, what was acceptable prayer? We said, we've got to get the hindrances. We've got to stop the things that might keep us from being able to do it. That's important. Second, we've got to say, what is not necessarily that big of a deal? You can do it. I can do it. Maybe not. It's not that big of a deal. Those are my non-essentials. But we have to focus on what are the essentials. I started the lesson by saying, you're doing it wrong, right? Well, we need to reassess often how we are praying. But before we start telling other people that they are doing it wrong, what we need to do is go back into our scripture and find the examples that Christ gave. Find the examples that Jesus gave. And the examples that Jesus gave are what we need to follow. It's not a matter of doing it wrong. It's a matter of doing the will of God. And that's the most important thing. If there's any way we can help your prayers be acceptable, if there's anything we can do to make you, help you become a Christian, whatever it might would be, we offer this invitation every single time that we come together. We offer the opportunity for you to go into these waters back here and be baptized and become a Christian. Or if that's something that you've done already, but maybe you've fallen away or slipped, we offer an opportunity for you to be able to come back. And you know what? There might be people in here that need a few acceptable prayers from people in this room. And that might be the case. You might want to come forward as well. But I'm going to throw a fourth thing out there as well. Odds are that there are people in this room that need prayers. They're probably never going to say anything about it. They just don't want to admit it or they're just a little nervous about it. Or maybe they don't feel like everybody needs to know. When we pray, we need to remember those folks as well. Because those things are prayers that God hears and God answers. And we may never know anything about it. That's all right. That's the most essential thing is what God does for us. If there's any way we can help you, any way we can do anything for you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing?